world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe all right good evening everybody happy memorial day weekend i hope everybody is doing well my name is josh and that is my guest tonight dr bruce solheim and uh, he is a returning guest here he is a PhD professor uh, professor at Citrus College in Glendora California where he teaches paranormal history isn't that correct bruce uh, yeah, I teach. Well, my main gig is history, but I do do a paranormal history class too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And I mean, you're just a fascinating person to talk about about the the Vietnam War history, about World War II, so on and so forth. Um, as well as you are a psychic medium, and you are very imp- integrated into the UFO phenomena. And you've yeah. came up with this one theory that we call the quantum nexus. And I hope you know that that when you said this, it changed my perspective for forever. Wow. That I've used, I use this all the time now. Like, oh, cool. The last few guests that I've had, they were talking like they would be talking about various aspects of consciousness. I'd be like, well, that's the quantum nexus. Look, look, everything. If you take UFOs, if you take ghosts, if you take, you know, shadow people or interdimensional beings or whatever they might be, angels, there's one foundational aspect and that's consciousness. They're all conscious entities, conscious beings. And that brings us to this quantum nexus. And so, uh, you know, I appreciate you for that because you red pilled me when you put that thought in my head. And yeah. completely changed my perspective. I, I would say you were already there, Joshua. I just kind of have I, 
I have a, uh, uh, it's from my dad and my mom. They're very practical people. They only had six years of formal education, but man, they were smart about just understanding what's the most important elemental thing. So that's kind of how I break everything down. And it just seemed to make sense to me. So you were already there. You were talking about all this stuff. You knew the connections, you know, but in your experiences and what, you know, people you've talked to and what you've learned. But yeah, so yeah, quantum next is kind of a cool concept. That's a, it's a nice term. <laughs> it absolutely is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I start to look at it in, in a certain perspective, it starts drawing about a lot of answers that people might have. Because, you know, we, we tend to look at, and I believe these were your words, we tend to look at the UFO phenomena as separate from the paranormal phenomena. Mm-hmm. And that necessarily isn't true. These all are interrelated because they're all derived from a foundation of consciousness. This is all consciousness interacting with humanity in various forms. Exactly. And, I mean, it's it's a it's a brilliant idea. I'm not gonna lie. Um, what have you been up to, man? How you been? Oh, I'm doing doing fine. Still uh, teaching. You know, my day job. I teach uh, history at Citrus College. Uh, everything online. I'll be back in the classroom in the fall. I'm I'm kind of ready. I think to go back to the classroom and and uh, you know I'll be teaching the Vietnam War in person, which is always a good class to teach in person because mm-hmm. I can bring in my guest speakers and. Just have have a uh, well. I can't say have a great time, but have an interesting time because it's it's always you know. <laughs> I mean, you know how the story ends. <laughs> it's not a very good ending, but but you know, getting there and ha- helping young people understand it is is pretty cool. And I I just uh, published another comic book, uh, Doctor Jekyll, Alien Hunter, yep. and it's a spinoff from the Snark comic books. I've done two of those, so I'm still publishing comic books. And then I think last time I was there, I think I talked about Anzar, the book that came yeah. out uh, last year. So, yeah, so I just um, and I'm, I have, a, you know, a couple projects going on with with Ciro, one in particular that would be kind of interesting to talk about involving Anzar. So he's kind of I'm kind of branching him out. <laughs> Very cool. You know, it, it, yeah. So you have. I mean, you have Timeless, Timeless Trinity, Timeless Deja Vu. You have the Snark comics, which I have both of them. I have the Anzar as well. Um, And then you have Dr. Jekyll, Alien Hunter, uh, which is a new one. Yeah. Yeah. So I urge everybody to go to Bruce uh, Olav Solheim dot com. Vince is going to throw that link out there for everybody and all the chats and check out his books and pick them up if you're interested. I mean, these are these are fantastic. The comic books are cool because. They're not just fiction. They 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 drive truth within them. A lot of factual information yeah. is pumped into these. That's how I I, <laughs> I pass along what I, a lot of what I've learned through these comic books and through the uh, the you know the entertainment media of, of comic books. Although I take them very seriously, uh, you know that that's one way to do it. Now, oh, I forgot to mention we're also we just we're on the fourth episode of an animated snark series we've been doing on YouTube. The fourth installment comes out uh, tomorrow morning. We do it on Saturday morning, like the old traditional oh, Saturday God, morning cartoons. It. They're like five, seven-minute segments, and uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, doing the animation for that. Well, I didn't do the animation, but you know, technical wizards did the animation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you about fiction. Uh, a lot, you know, a friend of mine who passed away, a Vietnam vet named David Wilson, he uh, uh, he was the one first one to tell me that uh, fiction is truer than nonfiction, mm. and 
you know, because everything is autobiographical for most writers, you know, when when you're writing about fictional characters, there's composite characters, there's you in some of the characters. Uh, like, for instance, uh, Ginger, my wife says that I'm really snark, you know, this alien hybrid, uh, you know, kind of innocent character trying to understand everything. So I, you know, it, 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 it's funny how that how that happens in, in fiction, because, well, the old saying is you write what you know, right? Yeah. So you, you know yourself best. Most of us do. At least we try. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that that's how it how it comes out. But that's all the different things I'm doing, and I'm excited about all of it. You know, it's it's hard to say which thing I like best, but it, you know, it just all keeps happening. <laughs> and that's true. That's that's uh that's kind of life, right? Is sometimes we get um we get overloaded with the things that are happening external to us. And we forget mm-hmm. to kind of organize those things inside of us, which allow us to kind of really optimize who we are. It allows us to, to really truly shine for who we are. And, you know, I look at a lot of people, I, I talk to a lot of people all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I don't measure, I don't judge a person based upon success or any of those things. I, I, I look at them in the sense of their accomplishments. I look at them in the sense of their actions. And when you see person's actions and how they derive certain accomplishments, you can get a good understanding of how well that person knows themselves and how well they have this understanding of their inner being and that connected to their inner being to their physical life, body and consciousness. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, this concept of, uh, of integration is is kind of interesting because I, when I first uh, started contacting Anzar, this ancient alien mystic, uh, a, a few years ago, well, actually, he's been in my life, my whole life, but you know, on a regular basis, contacting him. Um, I talked to a friend of mine who's a Native American shaman, or in that tradition, you know, mm-hmm. and she talked about uh, integration, and Anzar talked about integration, and I was kind of afraid of that concept, you know, what are you talking about integration? And uh, but it's really just an integration with the who we are, the real us, you know, the spirit us with this physical manifestation that we see here with us and, and understanding that connection, which is really what ancient people did. They, they did it as a matter of, you know, that's their normal way of being where we see this kind of separateness. So we, you know, we have we don't feel the connection. And that's why I think a lot of people are so lonely and depressed because they don't know the power that they have. They don't know this spiritual part of them, this other part of them that is, you know, once you integrate that, you're a more, a fuller person and a happier person, I think. You know, not that you can be happy 24 seven, but I think that it, it gives you purpose and gives you drive and direction and, and uh, you know, things will go better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you talked to Ansar lately? I, I do not as often as I used to, because when I do, I, I found out that my recent communications have been, uh, you know, because of what's going on in the world, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. So I try to like every seven to 10 days instead of like three times a week, which, which I was doing. Now I still document all of it. I still record it, you know, what I hear, what I see and, and then transcribe it when I get home. So I'm, that's ongoing. But uh, it, it's a lot of dark stuff uh, with the uh, those, you know, those uh, uh, star people, I guess they prefer to be called. 
uh, or as he calls, I, I asked Antar, I said, do you mind being called an alien? And he, he said, well, how would you like to be called an alien? He said, look it up in the dictionary. And I, I looked it up, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, that's not a very good, def you know, that's not flattering. So yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. So he said, I said, well, what, what do you think? He said, how about star family? Because we're all connected. Like and we're that. connected through the stars, you know. So so I, I, I guess that, you know, I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm just trying to be more accurate. You know, I mean, I guess I guess that's what it what it's all about. But it's been pretty dark stuff. You know, the there are, as we know, there are human forces here on Earth that are doing very bad things and inspired to do very bad things. And, and they're being uh, pushed and pulled and prodded and encouraged by those that wish us that don't wish us well. Mm. And it's an ongoing battle, if you will, constantly. And uh, so as a result of those very dark messages I was getting, uh, you know, about Russia, about China, uh, you know, about nuclear weapons and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I was inspired and, and Ansar agreed to uh, start this kind of focus group within CIRO, which is the Close Encounter Resource Organization le led by Yvonne Smith, who's a, a hypnotherapist. She's been doing it for like 30 years and she was trained by Bud Hopkins and all these big names, you know, in the, in ufology. And, um, so we get together, we've gotten together a couple of times with uh, this friend of mine who's a, a Native American um, uh, shaman in that tradition anyway, and uh, we have connected Danzar. So it's not just me and Anzar anymore, it's like a group that is now contacting him and then other star people also get involved and, and there are other visitors too. It's like, uh, it, it, it's like the old Johnny Carson show or something, <laughs> it's kind of funny how, how it happens and, and uh, yeah, so we're having another one coming up, and and what we one of the things I'll tell you, there is hope though because uh, what I was told is that it's very so for your listeners that are very discouraged about what's going on, Anzar told me there there is more love than you could ever imagine, in 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 the quantum world, the spirit world, the alien world. There's more love than you could ever imagine. But, you know, there is also more danger than you could ever imagine as well. So it's like almost beyond imagination. But uh, there are those forces, at, like he represents them, that want to help us and are trying to help us, but don't want to do for us. You know, that's the, it's like, you know, parental, you know, you, you don't want to be a hovering parent. You know, you want to be a parent that uh, encourages uh, self-determination and, and independence but yet, you know, try to safeguard your children at the, at the moment, the critical moment when they really need it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so that, those are the messages I, I'm getting and um, it's not going to end anytime soon. And he's still uh, telling me that there's going to be this leap of consciousness that will take us it, it, on this next evolutionary step. And it's going to be a big one. Um, but there's a lot of resistance to it because a lot of the, star beings, you know, those in, in that other world, they uh, would not like to see this transformation because it, it doesn't serve their purposes. Right. It's kind of threat. It's kind of threatening in a way it, you know, like, you know, like a lot of people when they, it, you know, they realize that somebody's gaining strength, you know, maybe they don't, they don't want to have a challenger, you know, they don't want to have somebody that can actually hold their own. So that's kind of what, what's going on right now. 
it's really interesting. So I'm doing um, um, a new series, a mm-hmm. new podcast series with uh, David Whitehead, DW Truth Warrior. He's uh, done a few on Ancient Aliens a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a few people on there, Michael, Mike Barra. Um, we're having Michael Cremo on next week. We're having um, uh, a few people on this week. Um, but the Mars Chronicles, is it's called the Mars Chronicles. And what we mm-hmm. look at is we're looking at Earth, Moon, Mars, and various different anomalies that occur from those mm-hmm. different things. Ancient civilizations, we're deep diving into ancient civilizations. Um, and, and then also I look at the occult perspective. So David is very well-versed into the occult. His mentor is a guy by the name of Michael Tessarian, who mm-hmm. is a prolific writer on the occult and esoteric mysteries. Mm-hmm. And they do a podcast called Unslaved Together. But uh, David and I look at it from a very, very um, historical esoteric occult perspective and try to like pull away all the crap and try to find the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I uncovered, I uncovered this actually uh, about a year and a half or two years ago. Um, and it was very similar to what you were just saying in the sense of evolution uh, of this, this quantum jump that we're doing in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, because whenever we think of evolution, most people think about physical body, physical body adaptation, evolution, evolutionary adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. In, in reality, though, is if everything is foundational upon consciousness, all evolution is derived from <laughs> points of consciousness. Um, and I, I looked at things in the sense of cycles. And I've mm-hmm. looked and watched nature. I've looked and watched the universe, the stars. Um, our, our current solar theory is a star starts producing lighter elements, hydrogen, um, you know, helium, and they start collapsing that on top of each other until it becomes a critical mass. It explodes into a supernova. All those mm-hmm. new heavy elements go out, and then it coalesces again, and those heavy elements produce a bigger star, which starts this process all over again. Um, And so what we see in the universe, what we see in nature, is we see this evolutionary trend that everything in the material universe, or even in the spiritual world, is evolving to higher degrees of what I would call optimization. Um, So I said, why, why, why is the universe doing that, number one? Unless that is a protocol, a principle upon what the universe is based. And if it is, then that means that it is built into the fabric of the universe of how Mm -hmm. things evolve. And so I started looking at the whole resurrection story, December 25th, uh, the paganistic stories of rebirth, resurrection, Osiris, Isis, the Egyptian mysteries. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have something that's called an analemma. An analemma is the sun's transit through the solar system as viewed from Earth. And if you watch the sun every day in the sky and you put a dot in the sky, the sun's going to do this trek through the sky that forms a figure eight, mm-hmm. okay, the infinity symbol. The middle part of the figure eight is the two equinoxes. Then you have the summer solstice and you have the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. And now the winter solstice is this point in time developed by the great calendars, recorded by all these ancient civilizations, written about Uh, Many theological religions are based upon this simple understanding. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, if our sun does it, then our moon does it. And our moon does it 29.5 days through the sky and does an analemma. And so Mm -hmm. this is an observer perspective, but it's representing the cycle that's actually occurring. So I said, well, that means that our solar system is doing the same thing through the galactic center. And that means that we have four seasons that operate through the movement of our processional sequence through the galactic center. 
And I said, I bet you, and I, and for the longest time, I thought we were kind of in the middle coming in the spring, but now I said, I, I bet you after doing this series with David Whitehead, I bet you were coming in the winter in that point of resurrection, that point of rebirth. And sure hmm. enough, the age of Aquarius is that point of rebirth. It's that December 25th on our solar transit through the galaxy's arm. And we're about to come to that point of resurrection. And we know that this is like this magical time. So I looked at it and I said, what if this is what the ancient civilizations were talking about is that the universe has prescribed within it the certain points of evolution that occur, whether it's the um, the flow of energy into the DNA, which vibrates and resonates the conscious body, increasing it to higher degrees of consciousness or 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 maybe something that we don't understand yet. Yeah. And so we started looking at this and I started seeing these trends through occultism and through esotericism that were really hiding this information. But it was right there in front of us that the universe has this built in mechanism for conscious evolution in it. And it occurs at the end of every one of these cycles. And so when you said this, you're I, you're absolutely spot on, 100 percent correct in the sense of where my research is led in the sense of how this cycle operates and that we're about to hit this 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 point to where we increase, I guess, our, our vibrational acuity and mm-hmm. start increasing our conscious, conscious awareness. And I think that a lot of this that's happening right now has to do with it because it's interesting because you have the, uh, the three days where the sun sits still in the sky on the rising of the winter uh, solstice. So if you watch the sun every day through this, through the sky at the point of, uh, of rising, you'll notice that it inc- inclinates one degree every day. Uh, but if you watch it between December 22nd to the 24th, you'll notice that it doesn't. It's, it seems to sit in the same spot and mm-hmm. sets on the, the solar cross, the, 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 yeah, the southern cross, the, the crux. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is just kind of like observational of how it happens. It's illusion. But it, it, this is considered the shortest days of the year or the darkest days of the year and mm-hmm. so we truly have to go through this points of darkness these three points of darkness to go into these points of light of regression of resurrection of these mm-hmm. points of rebirth and so i'm seeing this in all these these cycles that we're talking about here and i, I just found it really interesting that you know yeah. you get this from anzar and you're writing about it and i have people who've never heard of anything that we're all talking about who are getting it from other sources and talking about it. So it's just a crazy time to be alive. But what is your thoughts on that, that the universe has this fundamental principle built into it for conscious evolution? Yeah, I, I think, uh, no, I, I think you articulated it very well. And, and Ansar has told me that the leap of consciousness will lead to an era of reconversion. So that seems to go along with what you're saying is that, you know, when I asked him for more details, he said that this reconversion is where the wisdom of the ancients is mixed or blended with the modern science and technology that we have so that so that we don't just have scientific materialism, but we have this true understanding of the nature of consciousness and and our place in the universe and that that will come together harmoniously. Mm and things will be a lot better. But the resistance to that is is the problem. And that's where we're in that resistance uh, phase. And and I, I couldn't help but think um, when you were talking that, you know, I've lived in, in Norway during the summer, you know, and uh, 200 miles above the Arctic Circle 
on the island where my parents are from. And uh, I've lived there during the winter when the, you know, during the dark time as they call it. And they, those people up north are very, and especially the indigenous people, the reindeer herders there are so in tune with the earth and the cycles of it because it's so pronounced for them. You know, they, I mean, yeah, the seasons are pronounced for us, not so much in Southern California where it seems like it's summer all the time, but the uh, it's either hot summer or just summer. You know, that's what it seems like to me. But um, in, 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 in places like in the Northern, you know, latitudes uh, or in, in the North, the high North, uh, that dark time really makes you understand that it's not just this seasonal thing, but it's a universal thing. Mm. And it's a, it's a, in a microcosm, what it is in the macrocosm. So, uh, and you, you have to go through the dark to get to the light. And, and that's what we're, we're, we're getting to. And I, I, I feel confident. I'm, I'm optimistic about where we're heading, but I'm not, uh, uh, I'm realistic about the pain that's going to be inflicted uh, on a lot of folks before we get there. So I think that's the best way to, to look at it and the healthiest way to look at it, you know, and, and uh, so it's not surprising that a lot of things seem to be breaking down, uh, whether it's, you know, customs and laws and, and for a lot of people, it's, it just seems so random. It's like, why did this, all this stuff start happening, but it's part of this natural cycle. Uh, that you're talking about. It's just a, a much longer cycle. People are used to short cycles, yeah. you know, and, and this is a very long cycle. So we don't, you know, it, it's like any graph, you know, you take any one section of a graph and you try to interpret, okay, things like things are going up. And then you look at the larger, oh, wait a second, that's really part of something that's generally going down. So, you know, we don't have, generally, most people don't have that big picture. So what you're trying to do, what we're trying to do, and a lot of folks are trying to do who are dealing with consciousness is trying to see the whole, a bigger picture and then, and then really see where, where we're at. So anyway, that, that's my simple understanding yeah. of, the, of the articulation of the concept that you did. But I, I think it's, it's, it's where we need to, you know, we don't really have a choice. It's, it's happening no matter what. So we, we have to uh, adjust to it. And I, and just smaller cycles, a lot of people don't think in that in those terms, even though they live it, you know, with the seasons. Like I, I talked in, in everything, like uh, in US history, we have 40 year presidential cycles where every 40 years we have a paradigm shift where politics shifts left or right of center. And um, in 1980, we had the conservative revolution with Ronald Reagan, so it moved right of center. And it stayed that way, even though there were democratic presidents who were liberal, but, they were constrained by the center having shifted the whole center of politics. And now it's shifted back to the left and people are making the adjustments. And that's why there's so much, you know, confusion and, but it's, it's kind of a natural cycle within our, our body politic, which is kind of interesting. It's a real extreme microcosm of what we're talking about, but it, you know, everything is related to these cycles. And the more you understand that, the more you realize that it's, um, it, it it is it is all connected and it, and it's yeah. it's it, it's it's absolutely amazing and it uh, you know it, it's humbling you know that we're that we're part of this but at the same time we have you know then people say well it's all just fate why even try you know it's already predetermined well no there's also free will which is part of that and that's the big debate you know how much is free will and how much is is uh, is fate and it's really uh, I think Native Americans 
uh, say it. I've heard one talking about it, a, a medicine man, and he said that it's really both. It's a combination of both. Hmm. That you do have some, you know, there, there's something driving you, but you're driving something else. You know, yeah. I, I think um, the guy who invented uh, the first commercially licensed helicopter, um, uh, God, what was his name? I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, he used the example of, you know, your fingers are 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 manipulated by your hand which are manipulated by your arm which is manipulated by your shoulder which you know everything is is subservient to something else but it's all connected you know right it's incredible system to the to the brain which is the great consciousness i guess if you think about it yeah in the mysteries we actually talk um well there's theories upon how this comes about and you're spot on. I mean, you can go into various aspects of Solomon's Temple with the two pillars where you got to find the doorway. You can go to Buddhism with the middle path. And the middle path is this fate-oriented path. It's the mm-hmm. the synchronization of the vibration that you set before you before you came to this place where you're aligned with it. But it's derived from a mental discipline in the sense where you're not just doing what you want, but you set your intention and you flow with it. Whereas the free will, the kind of like the, the free oriented human being, they work on the fringes of that middle path where it's more unrestrictive, a uh, little less undisciplined, but that you kind of have this convergence of it mm-hmm. to where through that discipline, free will is amplified and yeah. initiated along that path of path of fate. So very yeah. cool. Have you ever read um, William Strauss's Fourth Turning or Generations? I I, I haven't. I I just remember the guy's name, Arthur Young, the inventor of the Bell helicopter, oh, uh, first commercially uh, 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 commercially licensed helicopter. Arthur Young, brilliant guy, passed away many years ago. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so no, I haven't, I haven't heard of that book, no. Okay, so you're just talking about the four-year political cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, The Fourth Turning, and the, the newer updated one, I think, came out in 98. Uh, these are two college professors, uh, statisticians, and um, they wrote another book called Generations. But basically what this talks about is a 90-year cycle of humanity, that humanity mm-hmm. is on this 90-year cycle that occurs – and that it's incredibly predictable. In their book, they wrote in Generations, they said in 2019 there would be some type of virus and pandemic which would cause for a political revolution. The revolution mm-hmm. would most likely lead to another world war. And I mean, these guys have been spot on. And all, all they do is they just look at 90 years of history. You go yep. and you go back 90 years, you get World War II, 90 years before that, Civil War, and 90 years before that, Revolutionary War. And you can start mm-hmm. seeing the trend line. And um, I, I had a gentleman on a few weeks ago, and he was uh, he's all about sun cycles. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking about this without knowing about the fourth turning in the sense of these 90 day these 90 year cycles that occur with humanity, kind of like the 270 day gestation period of a, a woman giving birth is that we have these other cycles that are completely attributed directly to the solar cycles and the solar cycles are directly attributed to the, the galactic cycles and so it's just a reaffirmation of what you're talking about right there uh with these cycles in that we are dominated and ruled by these various different cycles it's yeah it, it it's fascinating stuff i i introduced my students to these cycles and they're 
you know, they're so used to this thinking this linear way that, okay, one thing happens then another thing happens and so forth, or maybe they'll get as far as to cause and effect, but they don't see how it's all connected and that there's actually cycles. And once, once they see that they see, oh, well, I can kind of prepare for the future based on understanding these cycles. And I said, exactly. You can't really accurately predict, but you can certainly prepare for certain uh, uh, outcomes that are probably very highly probable going to happen. And uh, and the, the other the other thing I wanted to mention that kind of in a way in a, in a strange way might uh, impact this is in in aero in in um, rotorcraft aerodynamics. So in helicopter, when Arthur Young was trying to figure out how do you control this helicopter, it's got this rotating disc. You know the rotors, the main rotors going over the head. They found out that they had great deal of trouble controlling it because they didn't realize that the uh, actuator had to be in a 90 degree angle to where you wanted to go hmm. because of the, uh, I forgot the principle, but anyway, so it was in a 90 degree angle. So if you wanted to go forward, it would have to start 90 degrees from, you know, where you're going. So he, he came down to, he said, all life is 90 degree angles, hmm. you know, to, you know, this idea of, um, you know, that it, it boils down to, you know, everything, you know, th that, uh, and if you think about it, if you, if it's less, if it's, if it's, uh, uh, you know, less than that, it's, it, it, if it's 90 degrees, they'll never, you know, it'll never intersect, yeah. you know? but you know, it, it, it's, I, I don't totally understand because this guy was so brilliant that he's, you know, uh, I mean, he, he did, um, he classified everything by the periodic table. He, he explained everything by the periodic table. I mean, he was just an amazing genius. And I mean, to sit around, he wasn't even an engineer. Huh. He was just, I think he was a philosopher, but he got, he, he thought, you know, he went to the patent office and he said, nobody's figured out really how to commercially do this thing with the helicopter. I mean, Sikorsky did what he did. And of course, Da Vinci came up with the air screw or whatever mm -hmm. many, you know, centuries ago, but, but he figured out, you know, this is a problem that I want to solve. And he just used his intellect, even though he didn't have an engineering training and he learned engineering so he could do it. And it, 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 it's so inspirational for folks who maybe don't have the formal training, but they have the, uh, the extreme interest in getting a problem solved. And, and really that's what it takes. If you put everything into solving a problem, if more of us did that, you know, it would probably be a better world. You know, if we just, we didn't wait until, oh, I have to have a certain degree so I can do this. Well, maybe you don't, maybe it would might help just to get the background, but you know, you can, you can self-empower yourself. You know, I, I think of my parents, like I mentioned earlier, they only had sixth grades, uh, sixth grade, you know, sixth, uh, six years of formal education, but my dad built houses based on, uh, you know, blueprints and he did it himself. I mean, I couldn't do that. You know, I'd have, I'd, I could probably, if I learned and, and, you know, it would take a long time, but he could do that and was a master builder. And my mom uh, was an artist and had an incredible understanding. She was very psychic too. And she had a credible understanding of how things worked. You know, she took me at age 10, she took me to a Native American protest in Seattle because she wanted me to see the Indian's perspective mm. on things because I've been watching John Wayne movies so I thought oh I know the west you know I, I I played cowboys and indian nobody wanted to be the indians you know everybody wanted to be the cowboys so she said I think this boy needs to go see talk to some real indians which I'd never done and I did and I found out about you know their treaty rights and stuff so 
which fed into me becoming a historian. Now, did she know that was going to happen? I don't know, but you know, she had that that insight. And and a lot of people, even without, for, even though I'm in education and I encourage people to be formally educated, obviously, um, there's a lot of education that goes on outside of the formal structure. And I think uh, universities and colleges better respond to that. They better understand that people. You know, it's just not an automatic thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people getting college degrees who can't get a job that's commensurate with their training, what they expected from it uh, because of the reality of the job market. So anyway, I, I just think that part of that leap of consciousness is understanding who we are as natural people and we're natural problem solvers. And and if we get out of our own way, you know, if Sometimes these politicians, they, they, it, it's just so, because I see the subtext all the time, it's frustrating because I hear them talk and I don't hear the words they're saying, I hear the subtext hmm. uh, because that's what you do when you're a psychic. You don't necessarily hear the, you hear the subtext. What do they mean? What's their intent? And it's always some negative. It's like, uh, I'm going to destroy my opponent and get all glory for myself. That's what I hear every time they say something. I don't care who they are, Republicans, Democrats, they all seem to be the, the, you know, with very few exceptions. I think there are some that are untainted, but very, very few. Most of them, the subtext is is very selfish. And um, anyway, I yeah. kind of got off on a tangent there, sorry. No, no. And one thing I've been doing lately is I've been trying to very much hone in on my own kind of inner dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. I've been doing the cyber, uh, the silver uh, mind control method, mm -hmm. um, which I found absolutely amazing. Um, just the, the the way that they set up. I do. I'm actually doing Ultra Mind through Mind Valley. Um, but it, it's fantastic. I'm absolutely loving it. It's giving me. I have massive amounts of information just flowing in. And for the longest time with me, is I would have information flow into my mind um, from all different sources. I look at something, I focus on it, and all of a sudden I have thoughts and ideas coming in, and I research them, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this was right, this was true. It, it's very psychic in nature. So I decided to kind of hone in on it, but discipline it in a certain sense to see if yeah. I could actually utilize it. Um, and, and lately, things have been very, very interesting. Uh, we, we do the daily podcast uh, mm -hmm. that talks about a lot of the geopolitical, geomilitaristic, uh, social, cultural issues, a lot of these things. Um, and I've been making a lot of predictions. And these are coming in the sense of just analyzing these things through deep thought. And mm -hmm. they're all coming true. And that's not good. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it can be very it can be very disturbing and kind of uh, almost overwhelming yeah. sometimes. And, and that's part of the reason that I. Uh, I cut down on my contact, my what I call my spirit walks, which um, I, I still take walks. So I'd still do meditative walks, but I don't make the spirit connection other than once a week or every 10 days because they get so intense. And the more trained, you know, like yourself or like myself that I've been doing this a while, the more trained you are, the more the deeper you get into it and the more taxing it is physically. Yeah. And mentally, uh, you know, so when you come back, you're like, you're supposed to feel refreshed after a nice meditative walk. And instead, you're kind of worn out. And you might need to lie down for a minute, you know, just to, and it could be just the fact that, you know, I'm 63 now, but that could be a factor too. But no, I think it's how deep you get into it. And, and you start to understand these things. And then you realize, <clears throat> how much can you really say, 
because, you know, I found, and you probably found this out too, uh, there are, you know, these debunkers and these people who are just professional naysayers and then just trolls, internet trolls that are out there just to uh, defame everything you do or you say, you're trying to help, you know, trying to pass on some information that might be helpful and, and they're out there. And I, and I, you know, I'm not uh, uh, like, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And I'm just saying that you have to be careful because, uh, you know, th those people are out there. I don't even think they know they're not helping. I think they think they're helping. Yeah. And they're, and they're really not, uh, you know, not to say that there aren't in the psychic business or the Uf UFO business or whatever, there aren't charlatans because there definitely are people cashing in on people's worst fears and, and, and their, and, and worse of all, their their grief and sadness, you know, with yeah. psychics that pretend, you know, and, and I know there, but that, you know, this stuff is real and it, it drives me crazy when these people take advantage of, of people. That, that's why when I, I get people who ask me, you know, can you do a psychic reading for me? I said, I'm sorry, I, I really can't, you know, I, I mean, I could, but, uh, uh, and they said, well, how much do you charge? I said, I don't charge anything because I don't do it. I, I don't want to take your money. Yeah. I don't want it to be a money thing. I want it to be, I'm helping somebody. So the only time I ever do it is when like a friend or a colleague, you know, asks me to, and they're in a great deal of pain. And I said, okay, I, I will try to help you, but I can't promise anything. And, you know, it's not hundred percent accurate, but I will do it out of the, out of the kindness of my heart for you. And that makes it real. If it, if there's money involved, then there's, you can all of us have the ability to delude ourselves so you know you have to be very careful what is the true motivation it's just to help and I, that was one of the first things i read uh from very experienced psychics N number one rule is um it has to be you're helping somebody that that's what it is kind of like with doctors the number one rule of the hippocratic oath is do no harm it's kind of the same thing only not only do no harm but you know actually try to help somebody don't make fame or fortune, you know, the, the, um, the motivator. Uh, so, so that, and, and that leads along the same lines and you're saying, you know, these empowering things, you know, mind control and all this, I mean, it's all incredible stuff, but you know, everybody has to be aware that, and I don't want to over, overly simplify, but let me use star Wars and as an example, you know, with the force, you know, that's, that's the most the clear example. There is an easy path for all this stuff. The problem is, is that, you know, the dark side, right? I mean, there is an easy path and you can, you can actually get people to do what you want and stuff. But if they're, if you're doing something to somebody to get them to do something against their will, because you have a, a greedy desire for, you know, money or fame or whatever it might be, then um, that, that will, will bring you down. You know, that, that, that is going to, you might get a temporary, you know, fix or high or whatever you want to call it from it power you know uh, power surge but uh eventually that will get you wrapped around the axle and you'll start on, start on a downward spiral so um these are precious gifts that we have that all of us really have and and many of us are trying to train them and and do good in the world and so it it, it is a sacred precious gift and we have to be very very careful with it and um i I think it's great that you're doing all this this training and, and expanding already the you know the where you're at, and you talk to so many different interesting people that give you different aspects of 
and directions you could go in. But, you know, there, there, it is kind of a cautionary tale, too. Yeah. I have found with me, I'm just talking about myself. I don't think I'm the only one, but, you know, there is that temptation to, well, you know, okay, I know how to do make this stuff happen. What if I really am angry with somebody? Can I make something bad happen to them? You probably could, but should you? No, no, you should not. You have to resist that. That's why Anzar, every single time I talk to him, and especially when I'm angry about something, he will remind me. He'll say, always keep love in your heart and operate from a position of love. Hmm. And if you do that, that'll keep you from going down those other you know, paths. So stay the way of the Jedi, right? I, I, I love that. It, you know, it's, it's <laughs> something that we actually, we were actually talking about on the Mars Chronicles. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about in a sense that uh, George Lucas actually used. Uh, um, yes. Uh, who was it? Joseph Campbell's. Joseph uh, Campbell. Yeah. The power of myth. Yeah. Right. The power of myth. He actually consulted with Joseph Campbell to help write Star Wars, and some mm-hmm. people even think conspiracy theory out there is that George Lucas was giving given the storyline, and mm-hmm. really what they're talking about is it wasn't a galaxy far, far away. It was actually here in our solar system in our galaxy, and that it was an ancient civilization that used to live amongst the stars, and it was the birth of us, and it destroyed <laughs> itself or got destroyed through cataclysm or whatnot, um, and that there was. Jedi's. There was these people who utilized this this force that propagates mm-hmm. the entire universe that is the guiding life force. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Do, do you think that the universe has this this field or this fabric? And is this really what we're we're tying into as as psychics, as uh, mediums, or or what? Yeah, it's, you know, like we, we talked about uh, at, the, at the start, you know, this, this idea of the quantum nexus, you know, that's, that's the term that we might use for the force, you know, this idea that, that what happens in the uh, uh, spirit world, what happens with aliens and all the, you know, all the paranormal stuff is actually uh, the same as the quantum world and the way the subatomic world works is totally different than the interface that we have. The interface, you know, just like a computer, you know, we have a keyboard, we have voice, whatever, but we don't see the actual toggling of voltages going on, which is really what's happening when we're using this medium. And uh, so because we use interfaces, so the our everyday reality is an interface for what is actually going on in the quantum world. And and that way it, it becomes more understandable and comfortable to us. And Every once in a while, even if you don't consider yourself a psychic, a person will catch a glimpse of that other world and they'll go, whoa, whoa, what was that? They just saw behind the, you know, like in the Wizard of right behind the curtain, they saw actually behind the, the interface. And uh, I mean, this kind of stuff, if you pay attention to it, happens a, a lot. And then if you train yourself, like yourself or me or many others, you know, then you can actually get there, you know, not by accident. And, and train yourself to utilize that for, you know, to do good things and to, you know, make good stuff happen. And uh, it, yeah, so that, you know, that that quantum, that's why I, I did, when I started this journey, seriously trying to manage the paranormal in my life, the, you know, this power, this gift I've been given, um, I studied quantum physics. That's one of the first thing I studied was quantum physics because yeah. it just made sense to me. Now, I'm not claiming to be a scientist and totally understand it. I'm just saying that it makes sense what I've learned about it. 
and I've talked to scientists about it and they've acknowledged that, you know, a friend of mine, uh, um, E.M. Young, not uh, uh, Edwin Young, not, uh, not the Young, we're, not Arthur Young we're talking about earlier, um, was a scientist. He ran a, a, a psychic laboratory at Stanford in the 70s. And he's actually, uh, anyway, I won't, I guess I'm not supposed to say exactly what he does, but uh, he, uh, he kind of advises me. So I have a couple of advisors that are not in the other world that are actually in this world, but, but working with the other world as well. So those kind of, I guess he's kind of like Obi-Wan or something. Um, but, uh, and then there are those in the other world who help us too, you know, like in my case, Anzar and my friend, Gene, who's, you know, he was just a regular guy, but he was my friend and he passed on in 2016. He was the guy who actually got me started to formalize all this stuff and tell my stories. So I owe him every time I talk to somebody, I always have to mention Gene because Gene's always with me. He's there kind of looking over my shoulder. But um, and he was the one who told me that, uh, you know, I said, what is this about aliens? You know, I was trying to figure it out early on and I had a hatch. I was hatching some ideas. I hadn't got to the quantum nexus yet. And, and he said, uh, hey, we are the aliens. And I, and I go, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Like you like ghosts are you, you know, you. And, and he said, all of us, we are the aliens. Which, which means that we're star, a star family, which is exactly what Anzar has been saying the, the whole time. And, and it brings up this whole idea of how many times has this gone round and round? You know, did we come here from somewhere else, which I believe we did? And, uh, you know, how many times is it going to go around? You know, uh, what, what was it in um, Lord of the Rings? You know, what was it? The uh, How many different cycles had they talked about? You know, the beginning and the end, and then it cycles around yeah. again. Uh, Tolkien was was you know that was part of his ethos or whatever, um, part of his mythology. But um, anyway, it, it's just I I just I I I enjoy talking to people about this stuff. I especially enjoy talking to you. You have a very deep knowledge of it and appreciation, and um, it's always fun to to get into this stuff get, to do a. Uh, kind of a almost a hackneyed phrase now a deep dive into it you know I, I wish I could use a different term you know maybe uh, splodunking or something <laughs> into this you know because um, you, you you do have to get get underneath you know it is like it, it is in some ways like going into a deep cave you know right well you it, know. and I think a lot is that we we live so much within our own mind that we forget uh, that we live so much in our own mind, but the perception is that we live in this external world, that everything is external to us. And mm-hmm. we forget about that. And we get so uh, accustomed to what's happening around us that we forget about what's really going on, that everything is being created within us. And that goes back to having that, that heart that's full of love and doing everything from that point of love, mm-hmm. as well as um, you know, the, the psychic idea. Um, I've always looked at it in the sense that I I look at everything in vibration or I look at everything as oscillation or resonance and frequency and that you're always trying to match something. And that I, I, I look at it in the sense that there's this permeating field in the universe, a substrate Mm -hmm. of reality and that everything is formulated within the substrate of reality, which means that all matter, gross matter doesn't matter is even if it's inanimate has a certain um, resemblance 
of consciousness in it. It's it, everything yeah. is conscious at the quantum subquantum Planck level doesn't really matter, but mm-hmm. it takes a certain vibrational um, level in order for that consciousness to become self-aware and self-organized. Mm-hmm. It, that we're integrating with this field continuously every day. We are the field in, in a sense, and yeah. that the field is information. And that information can be harnessed and pulled out at any point in time because the linearity of time is only through our own individualized experience. And that the, the orthogonal time, if you want to call it, the, the whole uh, plethora of time that's ever existed all exists right now in this moment. And that we could literally pull out the information that we need by tapping into this field at the right vibration or the right frequency, if we must, um, that uh, correlates to that time. Uh, the date and time and the, uh, the the level where the universe is progressing to. I've always imagined that uh, I'm a closet physicist as well. I went to CU Boulder for three years, studied physics uh, mm-hmm. because I was heavily into the occult and esoteric mysteries. And I started noticing what they were talking about was a lot of science. And I'm like, well, yep. let's, let's go and, and test these theories out. And so one of the things I noticed is that the universe is ever expanding. This is one of the theories of physics. And I said, if the universe is ever expanding, that doesn't mean that it's expanding at the edges. And I think this this is a big misconception for people who don't dabble in physics. It means that every atom, that every morsel of this universe is expanding in its own little space. And that the universe expansion is not like blowing up a bubble, but instead like the oxygen molecules inside the bubble expanding from their center point of radius. And I looked at that in the sense that if that's the case, then there has to be some increase of vibration. And I looked at it in the sense of vibration is what if what's really happening is not necessarily that the universe is expanding, but it's increasing uh, its vibrational rate or its oscillatory rate. And mm-hmm. we appears in the physical world as an expansional aspect. And so I've always looked at if you wanted to connect to the past, all you simply have to do is tune in to that past frequency of which you used to exist at because we exist in this universe as well. If that means that means that we're expanding at the same rate that the universe is expanding and that if you understand your thoughts, your feelings and your emotions and and really your emotions, your emotional body is this connectedness to your spiritual world and that your emotion, I believe, is the communication that comes across from the spiritual world. And it's a communication, a language that we've lost over time. But if mm-hmm. you can go back and uh, feel that feeling that you had 10 years ago, five mm-hmm. years ago, that, that's matching that resonance of that date and time frame. And you can see those events that appeared in your life so clearly. You can feel them within your yeah. being. And if you harness that type of skill set, you can do it for the future as well as like, wow, in the future, I'm going to feel this way. And you can kind of yeah. match that and feel that. Uh, Bert Goldberg, Bert Goldman, Bert Goldman, who does mm-hmm. quantum jumping. Um, he's uh, fantastic at this. He does it in the sense that everybody has a doppelganger in this multiverse and that in mm-hmm. one multiverse, you're a concert pianist and all you have to do is match your vibration to that doppelganger and you can become a concert pianist by sitting in with your doppelganger and feeling what they're doing, matching the brain synchronicity of what they're doing when they play piano. He, he's 92 years old, I think, and he's taught he's a, um, a, 
a published author. He's a, a published artist. His paintings sell between ten to twenty thousand um, dollars. He's a master photographer. He is a concert pianist, and he taught all of himself these skills within the last fifteen years. Yeah, <laughs> and just fascinating. But this is the process that he uses, and so I look at being uh, as psychics as someone who um, has this natural ability to kind of tune in to these various degrees of reality at different vibrational levels. Yeah, well, I, you know, that you, what you're talking about is exactly what my physicist friend uh, E.M. Young, Doctor Young, uh, says that. Uh, basically what's going on with uh, these extraterrestrial star people uh, is that they're vibrating in and out of our, he uses the term vibrating, vibrating in and out of our reality. And that's exactly what ghosts and spirits do at this, you know, as well. And, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, you made me think when you're talking about the past, if you get to that, that, that vibrational level or frequency, whatever you want to call it, that yes, you can do that. And there are physical manifestations of that that are usually related to trauma. Like if you, you know, uh, people in the military, or not just people in the military, but anybody who's been through trauma can have flashbacks. And those flashbacks are, they are real. I mean, you are really back in Vietnam or you're back in a tornado or whatever your traumatic thing was. And you have all the sensations, you have everything that was there at that time because you're at that harmonic frequency or at that frequency of that point in time. And so a flashback is simply an illustration, a a psychological illustration. But uh, if you talk to people who have flashbacks, they're very, very real and and they are real. I think they are real and that's what makes them so powerful. It's not just, Oh, I had a bad memory of something. It's like, no, you're there. Yeah. Everybody around you has taken on the the shape or the image of whatever was there when you had the the trauma. And um, because people are so frightened by it, they become where they can't sleep. And instead of dealing with it as a pretty remarkable tool that you could use, it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to the trauma and I'm going to change things a little bit rather than being uh, afraid of it. Say I'm going to, and they call this, um, in the VA, they call this um, oh, uh, some kind of therapy. I forgot what it's called. But anyway, they take people back. In other words, they induce the flashback. Right. And it's, it's very risky because some people have a great deal of trouble handling it or they might get out of control and you know be violent or something. But uh, I think they call it immersion therapy. Yes. And it's a version of, of taking them at least partly to the flashback. But it's exactly what you're, what you're talking about. And, and so we already have bits and pieces of it, but we don't call it by, you know, what it is, you know, it is, it is a sense, in a sense, time travel. And, and when you have uh, experiences in our everyday lives that remind you that time is this linear time is, is an illusion, you know, uh, I think, I'm not sure if I told you, but a couple of years ago, last time I was on, but the, uh, my son and I were driving here in Southern California and I, I, something happened and I looked down just briefly and I was coming up to an intersection and for some reason the light turned, it was green and just a split second. And then it was red and I looked up and it was red and I was going through the intersection about 50 miles an hour. And I was about to be double T-boned from the side, people going equally fast probably. And for some reason, time slowed down completely like in the matrix, you know, yeah. <laughs> where 
I could turn and turn and accelerate and get, and I just, I just threaded the needle. And when I came out the other side, it all came back to regular time. Wow. But for that moment, I had the time to do this. And it's not just that time I've had uh, where my wife's been in the car and other loved ones have been in the car where uh, there's been an extreme danger on the freeways here in Southern California. It's everyday kind of thing, but some terrible things where it seemed like it would be impossible to get out of the situation. Both cars coming from other lanes, you're about to be squished in the middle and somehow you do this maneuver, but time just slows down so that you can do it. And it, so it, it is flexible. It is, it is not what people think it is. Yeah. And, and you can, in, in extreme danger, you can do it. Uh, highly trained athletes can do this. They can manipulate time in a sense, like, like in baseball, how on earth can anybody hit a 99 mile an hour fastball when you think about it? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. it seems impossible. How could a person do it? And uh, unless you cheat and just start swinging before, but that's not exactly how it works. So they're able to, and you hear this a good player say, I just slow the ball down. The ball was big to me today. I saw it, you know, they, they, I'm seeing the ball today. Yep. They're able to, to manipulate the time because we have the ability to tap into that. But, um, and they call it other things. I think they call it the zone, you know. Yeah. Flow, <laughs> but, mind state, the zone, all these things. Um, yeah. And, and of course, creative people do this all the time. That's why time is immaterial. When you're creating something, a piece of music, like you mentioned, music or art, uh, a whole day could go by and it seems like a minute. Yep. Because you're so into the zone. You're, you've, you're no longer in linear time. And, uh, so this, it, it, there's so many examples of that people just assume it's just, oh, it's, that's not paranormal. That's not the other dimension. That's just something else. Well, no, it's exactly what, what you think it is. It is yeah. what we manipulate time. We can do it. I, so. I, I 100% agree. And uh, it, it's all from the individual perspective. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of these uh gurus ancient masters monks they'll all talk about that there only exists this moment this moment now there is nothing outside of it i call it the point of convergence i say yeah. that we all exist at this point of convergence where um, this reality is being created at this one point of convergence and that that a point convergence is increasing its energy potential over and over and over to a certain point of optimization and that the past and the future are accessible by just obtaining, uh, you know, former points of convergence is resonant frequency. So um, I'm, I 100% agree with you on all this. Now, Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer, he talks about a lot of this in the sense of aliens and they'll go do their CE5 events, contact events for UFOs and aliens, and they'll do a meditation and they'll consciously focus their energy on manifesting UFOs. And these things will show up. I just watched a video the other day of this. This guy, he calls him. He calls himself the Prophet Jehovah, mm-hmm. and um, he's uh, a black man who claims to be the Prophet Jehovah. And he said, by reading the Old Testament, he found out how to summon UFOs. And okay. uh, this Channel Eight News went and interviewed him, and they took him out to a little park. They kind of laugh at him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm seriously, this, this is real. I can do this. And they're all watching it with the video camera. And he goes and starts praying. And all of a sudden. In the sky, you get this yellow orb, this glowing <laughs> yellow orb. And they're like, 
oh my god like they're they're taping it on the local news and the guy calls up his channel manager and goes oh no he did it, it like it's it's really there it, it 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 appeared and it was moving it went to the air force base it came back and mm-hmm. it came back it was over top of them um but that brings us to this next point that and this is a revelation i had one day mm-hmm. um i was sitting with a friend and uh we were drinking a few beers and and mm-hmm. having a few cigars, we were talking, and we were in this deep contemplative thought, and we were outside on a clear summer night looking at the stars. And I said, you know, the water's meant for fish. The land is meant for man. The air is meant for birds. Mm-hmm. What is space meant for? Because if you look at all these environments, they all, uh, all the life forms adapt towards that environment. So if you have this vacuum of space that's eternally cold near absolute zero, I said the only thing that can survive there is spirit. And we started talking about this and I said, well, what if we were, you know, all spirits are born within the universe, within the outer space of the universe. And we transit the universe and we get all of our, our energy, our, our food from these suns. And the objective is to go to the suns, but there's one rule. Never go towards those planets. Those planets will pull you in. They're like a vacuum. They'll suck you in. And all of a sudden you'll be birthed into that planet. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like a reset, like falling down the tunnel in Mario Brothers, right? (laughs) <laughs> and we envision this. Um, but when we start to look at it is that there's there's more to this this idea that our spiritual nature is is kind of outside of time, that it is uh, we, we experience time in this physical reality. But that's not necessarily what time is in in that time is dependent upon these various different planular um, places we live. So we live in just the physical world right now, but if we are in space, time is much, much different. It's experienced much, much different. Um, and then our, our, our spirit and our soul, I, I look at as kind of always moving towards these various points of optimization, but um, kind of outside of time. In that time itself is more of a physical phenomenon. What I call the, the point of convergence is increasing its vibrational rate. I know I went off on a tangent there, but no, that's well. It 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 is exactly in in different words, but basically, what one of the first things Gene told me when he came to me a, a month after he died, and uh, or it left this this existence to the next. And uh, he told me that where he is, there is no past, there's no future, everything is happening all at once. It's all the eternal now. He called it the eternal now. And I was, I have a quote on my, I, I like to put quotes on the, on the wall here. And I have one from the American physicist, David Bohm. Oh, great. And, and he said, uh, uh, now is forever. Yesterday is now. Tomorrow is now. Unending. Ultimately, all moments are really one hmm. and and he's one of the most I, I i you know david bohm has really helped me with understanding quantum physics you know he's the one to help me understand this idea of the um of this reality that we have and then what he called he called it the explicate order in the, the expli- order. yeah and, and then the implicate and then the super implicate is the the mind of god or the ultimate consciousness the one or whatever you want to call it and he helped me understand understand that. And and so, but what's funny is that he's saying the same thing my friend Gene was saying, which saying the same thing you're saying. You know, it, it's just we're all saying the same thing. It's like uh, Joseph Campbell's talking about all the different creation myths, you know, all these different colorful stories. 
but they're all it's basically the same story <laughs> yeah know? it's it's the same story we're just putting it in in different ways and and uh th there's so much power in that and and truth to it you know and yeah. that and that's what what is driving us is is you know this pursuit of truth and uh which in in and of itself uh everybody claim you know and when we talk about political systems they're all talking about oh that's false that's you know that's that's not true but um real truth is is not you, you can't really manipulate it mm -hmm. and as ansar told me about technology he said these different nation states our our country included they want to use alien technology and knowledge for their own advancement. And he, and Anzar said that uh, you cannot use alien technology and knowledge for just to advance yourself. It's for the benefit of all, all for the benefit of all. Yeah. So you can't take it for yourself. So, and I have a friend retired guy from the FBI and you know, the old saying, you, you, you're never out of the FBI. You're always in the FBI. But he, he told me, he said there, our government and not just our government, but every government is trying to figure out how can you weaponize this, you know, the UAPs, how can you weaponize this technology? How can you, they're so busy doing that, that they're missing the point that we're talking about, that this leap of consciousness is what this is all leading to. And none of that stuff will be necessary. Yeah, 100%. And it doesn't yeah. And, you know, speaking of this, the UAPs, the UFOs and going back to Dr. Greer, is um, it's where I was going to when I was thinking of that one thought and I got lost in my mind, but is that these technologies that are traversing space, I think that there might be some civilizations that are material, material in orientation and that have material craft that traverse space through various levels of physical technology. But I think a lot of what we're seeing is conscious technology, is conscious technology that is derived from consciousness. Um, some of these reports that I've heard from people that have been to S4, S1, Area 51, um, these various different bases and seen these things, is you go inside of them and there's no controls, there's nothing. There, there's no panels, there, there's absolutely nothing. You walk inside and it's just metal and it's all one piece of metal. And mm -hmm. th the reason is, is because when you walk in there, it rep it recognizes the resonance of your DNA when you're a, um, a certified person who can be in there or alien that can be in there. Mm -hmm. And everything begins to come up on the digital display screens, but it's all yeah. consciously controlled. And these craft operate through what you would call the quantum nexus is this mm -hmm. is how the space realm works is it's as we get. It, it's like uh, density, right? If we went to the core of the Earth, it's incredibly dense. And the further out we get, it gets less and less dense. We go through the water, we're still muffled, but we have some freedom of movement. Then we get onto the surface, and now we have more freedom of movement. We can speak, we can move. You get up into the upper atmosphere, and it's really, really thin, and your freedom of movement is, less, uh, is more and more, and there's less and less resistance. You get out in the space, and there's complete... Mm -hmm. removal resistance and so I, I look at these points of less and less density or less and less resistance as these 
constructs that were made for technology, these constructs that were made for the operation of, uh, of various different technologies where space would be derived from conscious technology. And so we had this uh, UFO conference, or not the UFO conference, but the, uh, the hearing in the Senate pertaining right. to UAPs and UFOs. What, what are your thoughts on what happened with this? Yeah, uh, I think it's great that they're doing it, but they're still constrained in a certain way, of course, we did we we didn't see the closed briefing, so mm-hmm. we don't know what's going. On. We can we can kind of guess, and I I've I, I think what's going on is that they're really concerned about weaponizing, and it's really a shame that that's what they're where they're heading with this. So I, I don't think they really understand what they got. They're they're not telling us everything. Obviously, I think most people know that, but. Uh, some of the the most disturbing thing, and I can't remember the congressman's name. I maybe it'll come. I'll think of it later. But he said, "Is there a way to basically punish people who tell us about UFOs and uh, it's false information and it's uh, you know uh, he was he was basically trying to is there a way to punish these people?" Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, "Wow, you know it, it, he's." he's making himself the arbiter of truth about this and, and wants to punish people. So, and how, how is anybody in the military, how is anybody else going to feel free to report things and, and talk about it freely? If there's some force out there that wants to punish you because they say, Oh, well, that's not true, but they're the ones determining what the, the, the truth, it's almost like the, um, when I heard that, I almost thought of the uh, the old movie uh, Miracle on 34th Street when they put Santa Claus on trial, hmm. you know, and, you know, everybody believes in or they want to believe in Santa Claus and the children do. And then there's all this political intrigue with the judge and everything. It kind of reminded me of uh, of that. And um, I, I think some of the some of the people were asking great questions. Uh, one senator asked about and it was kind of bipartisan. Some of them were Republicans, some were Democrats were asking good questions. One of the best questions was um, about, uh, I think it's, is it Robert Salas, the uh, the uh, guy that used to work at um, Maelstrom uh, Air Force Base mm-hmm. when the That's nukes got shut down? And they asked those two representatives, the one from the Navy and the one from the Defense Department, um, what do you guys know about that? You know, what have you investigated that? And they said, uh, we don't, it hasn't been brought to our attention. And, I mean, come on. It hasn't been brought to your, and then the congressman said, he said, well, I'm bringing it to your attention. And, and and they said, well, it's never officially been brought to our attention. He says, we're in a congressional hearing. That's pretty official. And I am bringing it to your attention. Well, we'll, we'll have to look into that. Oh, yeah. oh, come on now. I mean, that's, it, 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 that was kind of ridiculous. And, and are they so narrowly focused on trying to weaponize this technology that they, you know, thinking that, oh, the, it must be the Chinese. Well, it's not the Chinese. It must be the right. No, it's not. The Russians can't even communicate effectively in the Ukraine. They're using cell phones. You think they're, they have access to all this alien technology? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I think they have some information just like we do, but they're all busy trying to figure out how to make, how to strap a bomb to it. And it's they're heading down the, the the wrong direction. So it was frustrating for me. I wasn't surprised, but I am. I, I like the fact that it's at least being taken somewhat seriously, even though I looked at the web major news websites and they were 
kind of poking fun at it, you know, a little bit. So they still have that, try to bring in that ha ha factor, but yet it's, there was a congressional hearing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that is a step in the right direction, but you know, there's a lot of frustration around that. So those are my initial thoughts anyway on it. Now, one of the most interesting parts I found about it was mm-hmm. the Senator that you're actually, there is the one Senator that brought up in the sense of disinformation, misinformation. What do we do to these civilians that are sitting out there throwing these weird conspiracy theories out there? Yes. Is there a way to punish them? Do you hold them accountable? And even the DOD official was like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. this is the United States of America. Who are you to say yeah. that stuff? Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that's the logic, though, of, of we have to consider for our current politic right whether you're republican or democrat that's that's the logic that these people have is oh my goodness they're they're perpetuating false information out there but the other part is pertaining to the nuclear facilities the same congressman that did that he's Mm -hmm. also the one said well you know what for the record what i'm going to do is i'm going to submit these documents for the record and one of them was the wilson memo and this is admiral Um, wilson who was the director of the defense intelligence agency and uh this is a guy that worked with Dr. Stephen Greer and a few others pre-disclosure project who tried to get access to these special access programs when he was the the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency and was denied. And he went yeah. to the Joint Chiefs and they, they didn't know they got denied. And so yeah. he penned what's known as the Wilson Memo. And the Wilson memo goes into a lot of what you're talking about, nuclear facilities being um, not targeted but flown over, the nukes being shut down. And so this actually went into congressional record, which Mm -hmm. to me validates a lot of that information because the congressman that actually formulated this was the same one that brought these documents and put them in the congressional record. And he's also one of the guys who was in the closed-door sessions. He was in the other closed-door sessions when this happened last time. He's read the classified reports that were released on the first UAP uh, mm-hmm. report that was released. And so when he's doing this, he's really telling you what's happening and where the truth really lies other than what is being disclosed. And it's kind of like this this ancillary disclosure because this guy has this information. He's been in these classified settings and he's sitting there going, whoa, 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 hold on. Well, what about the Wilson memo? What about the the, the this guy's reports Mm -hmm. of them going to nuclear facilities, which brings validation to those events that they were very, very true, that they did happen. And what these people are actually talking about is very, very truthful because he wouldn't be putting in the congressional uh, record these accounts of these UFOs over the nuclear facilities or the Wilson memo unless he believed that they'd been truthful. And this guy is one who has access to these classified reports and these behind the door settings. So for me, I saw a lot of validation. You just had to look through a lot of this. this. You you have to know the context, but for the average citizen who's, you know, kind of like what the hell's going on here? Uh, You know, but when you think about it, I'm not going to be too negative. I'm going to say seven years ago, this would be unheard of, Yeah, you know, that this would be talked about that this, you know, but a lot of stuff has happened in the last seven years that things are accelerating. And, you know, we talk, we talk about disclosure and uh, Anzar always tells me, well, it's more like revelation than disclosure, which means it has to come from what w- it has to be revealed to you from within mm-hmm. your consciousness. And once you do that, then it, it, it will make a lot more sense, but the disclosure is kind of other directed. It's kind of like, we'll wait for the government to tell us what the truth is until then, you know, we're not, we're just going to sit here instead of taking that step and following along with it and realizing that 
we have to be actively involved yeah. in it. And that's that's part of what Ciro is doing. We have people in Ciro who have government experience and they're like, you know, sending uh, uh, briefing papers to members of Congress and it's being taken seriously. So there, there are, it is, there is some good news. And I, I agree with you that if you, if you understand where to look and you see the subtext, uh, you don't even have to be in the classified briefing to, to know what, what's going on. The, the only discouraging part is there's still those who feel that, uh, you know, that this needs to be hidden and that uh, we're going to try to get one over on our adversaries by blowing them up with a death ray from an invisible UFO, you know, or something yeah. crazy like that, like Mars attacks or something. <laughs> it, it, it's unfortunate, too, because I think a lot of what drives this stuff is behind the scenes actors, globalists, elitists, and maybe mm -hmm. even darker forces that operate behind them. Um, I, I think that the United States, I, I think that the, the formulation of Majestic 12 originally was not to hide these secrets deep within our government, but to keep them from the government. And I think that the form, and this is why a lot of people perish from Majestic 12. But when we start looking at it, is Eisenhower warned of the military industrial complex? The military yeah. industrial complex is really what has spawned up around these crash UFOs, these cases of crash UFOs in the 1940s. And I think that this is what Majestic 12 was actually doing, was ma making sure that these companies and corporations were were owned by people who, who really believed in true American values and that they gave them this technology. But it was held within very compartmentalized aspects of these contractors to where they would always have the assurance to have government contracts. They would always be um, having a certain level of revenue coming in from the government because the government wants them to reverse engineer these technologies, bring them in, implement them into their warfighter. But also, I think that it was that the reason they compartmentalize it into these defense contractors and not into the military is because they wanted to keep it away from the government for these exact reasons. Cause the government's going to look at it as, Oh man, we have a new offensive weapon. We have a new defensive weapon. Oh, we have an invisible UFO that can take out China. Oh, we rule the world. And because politics typically are refreshed every four to eight years. And we always have these cyclic actions of war as well mm -hmm. as that, you know, government is devoid of emotion. It's devoid of, of logic and rationalism sometimes. And that I think these people were really smart back in that day. And a lot of what we consider Majestic 12 was really to keep it from government. And this is one of the reasons why Eisenhower, former general, highly integrated in the intelligence agencies, came out and did what he did, really producing a war, giving this false interpretation on the military industrial complex. Not saying that they're not horrible people, not saying that they don't develop weapons of mass destruction because they absolutely do. And they help perpetuate the wars in this world but i think that a lot of the breakaway civilization a lot of the uh the breakaway technology derives from these very very compartmentalized subcontractors of the defense uh departments con um the military industrial complex that um they have technologies beyond our imaginable but they would never release them to humanity there was a report before the brookings report that came out that talked about this that if we reverse engineer these technologies and we started to implement them into society, humanity would begin to decline. That we, it would happen to such a fast technological progression 
would actually de-evolve us over time. And I think this is one thing that we're seeing right now with cell phones. I think that this is, you know, reverse engineered alien technology uh, that allowed us to speed up our own development of technology and they released it way too fast. And look what it's done to people. Yeah, it's made us lonelier and more isolated than we've ever been, uh, especially young people. And yeah. it's, it, it's kind of horrifying. You know, I, w- I wanted to share with you a lucid dream that I have that I think was based Ooh, cool. on a on a on a uh, download that I got from Anzar and, and company. And um, in this lucid dream, I was on some kind of military base and I was led to a craft and it was very much the way you described it. You know, it was metallic, but there was no you know, control surfaces, there was no cockpit. It was just like these kind of built in things that you could kind of sit in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a circle, in a round circle. And and this guy, this he seemed like a military officer, had like something with a handle and he put it inside of a, a, a little device. You know, it's a very simple looking device. He just placed it in there and the whole thing just goes whoop, like this, it becomes, and he said, when he put it in there, he looks at me and he goes, it's alive. Mm-hmm. It's alive. And, and all of a sudden the, the metal was gone and it was uh, like, you could see through it. There's no windows, but the metal became transparent. And, uh, and then uh, we lifted off and we were going at this tremendous speed. Well, at first we we're going kind of slow, but nobody could see us. We, we could see them, but they couldn't see us. And then we went at this tremendous speed. And we were flying around and I, I got the feeling that, that, uh, you know, that was, I was being shown. I mean, I've been shown this before when I thought about it. I think when I was a kid, I was shown this thing too by Anzar, who's been with me for a long time, but it was so interesting to, to see how, you know, to integrate that into what you were talking about into the, you know, whoever the operator is, is integrated with it. And it, and it is alive. It's part of who you are and you're, you know, at a, at a subatomic level. But anyway, I just wanted to share that it was, it was such a cool experience. I mean, I, you know, I was a pilot in the, uh, in the, um, army, I flew helicopters and I, I love flying. Yeah. And, and my wife is actually a helicopter pilot too. Not, she wasn't in the military, but in civilian. And, uh, it was such a cool experience. And so I, I, I know this stuff it, it, I mean, we've heard enough reports. You've heard You've read enough reports, talked to enough people, you know, this stuff is real. And, uh, and we do have it and, but you know, what are we going to do with it? And I think you're right that these, um, these entities are, are not necessarily uh, trusting in the governments because governments come and go, but um, that, you know, the true power is, 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 is something else, you know, and, um, and, you know, these breakaway civilizations, which I, I'm just fascinated by that whole concept. But anyway, I, I wanted to share that with you. And earlier you mentioned, um, uh, it made me think of the the PK Man, that book by uh, um, uh, Jeffrey Mishlove. I, I don't know if you've ever talked to him on your I show, but he he just won that, that Bigelow Prize, like a half a million dollars for his consciousness uh, beyond, uh, you know, beyond death consciousness studies or whatever. <laughs> basically his life's work. He's a parapsychologist. Mm-hmm. And I've been on his show a couple of times. He's a great guy. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called The PK Man. Now, I can't remember the actual name of that guy. He's dead. But uh, he uh, had the ability to, you know, kind of like what you're talking about with Richard Greer, you know, to bring uh, Dr. Greer, 
to to bring down UFOs and and he he could actually uh, make lightning strikes. He did all this incredible macro PK, not micro PK. Yeah. Like I I moved a little ball, you know, a, a millimeter. No, not yeah. micro, but macro PK, and um, he could manifest these things. But basically, he tried to get. They were very interested in him at SRI, and uh, but he was too much of a loose cannon. And uh, he didn't have the discipline. And, and Mishlov tells a story, Jeffrey tells a story of how he got mad at Jeffrey and caused him an illness, a, a severe illness. Oh. And, and, then, and then, at, then it cleared up. And, and then the PK man, uh, Ted Owens was his name. Now I remember it, Ted Owens. He called up Jeffrey and said, I'm very sorry. Uh, you've been sick, haven't you? And Jeffrey goes, yes, I've been really sick. Came on and he said, I did that. And I'm very sorry. I was mad at you. So he had... <clears throat> he had these abilities, but he didn't have all the discipline. And ultimately, it destroyed him. Wow. I mean, because it was just m- more, you know, than than a, a normal human being could could adapt to. And uh, he called. Uh, uh, there were insectoids that he worked with. The, these extraterrestrials. He didn't call them insectoids. He called them. Uh, I can't remember what he called them. But anyway, there's this book by Jeffrey called The PK Man. That's really really interesting read. Hmm. And uh, Jeffrey did a 10-year study of him before he, uh, before the guy Ted Owens passed away. But there's people in history. You've you've done this the history of the esoteric and and you know who've done these incredible things who have these powers and they've been documented. A lot of them have been very well documented. And uh, so every once in a while somebody comes along like that who has these incredible abilities, but it's so hard to to harness it and make it for good, you know, because there's a tendency to, you know, human frailties give you that much power and you turn, to, you know, going back to Star Wars, turn to the dark side, you know, yeah, you become a Sith Lord, you know. <laughs> well, and that's why I think it's so critically important that we look within ourselves and we learn about ourselves and we develop that ritualistic discipline within our mind. Yeah. And we have this structure of, of discipline and understanding the, the physical world before we start delving into the spiritual world, because you get what Ted Owens had there is that you get this undisciplined mind that um, has this immense power, but really doesn't know how to utilize it to benefit humanity. doesn't know how to utilize yeah. it to, to progress humanity to the next level. And, and I think that those are extraordinary gifts. And I think there, I, I, there's people on this planet right now that have very, very similar gifts and you would never know it and they'll never tell you and they'll never mm-hmm. use them because they know that in, in using those types of gifts, they start to change the public paradigm. They start to change the world and that mm-hmm. they sometimes don't trust not necessarily in themselves, but in the sense of what other people will do and how other people will react. Or, you know, then you're going to be visited by a federal agent. You're going to be arrested, taken to some detainment facility, and they're going to be like, we're studying you, and we're going to use your powers, and you're now our asset. And, you know, it's a big fear because we live in this very low-density mentality of humanity where it's all about power, greed, and the propagation of, of uh, of your own will, I guess, in a sense. So... Yeah. And it's a, well, and it's a, uh, I, I know, I, I'm not going to say his name, but I know a guy, probably one of the most powerful psychics in the world. Uh, you would think, oh man, I wish I had that psychic ability, you know, 
but the guy has been uh, controlled by our government, mm. utilized, and he can't even travel without permission. He can't go out of the country because they don't want him to fall into enemy hands, you know. And this guy, you know, talk about remote viewing, talk about all this stuff. I mean, he's like at at, at Ted Owens level, but he's more controlled, but he doesn't have freedom. He doesn't have basic freedom like you and I have to talk. You can't go on a show like this. You know, they, it, something terrible would happen to him if, if he did. Or, yeah, well, they, they wouldn't even allow it. I mean, they yeah. at the highest level, and I know at the highest level, they've shut down whatever he's tried to do where he tries to break out of this. And uh, I feel sorry for the guy. I really do. Yep. And, it, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, man, I wish I was that psychic. And one of these psychics told me once, he, he said, you know, you should be happy with what you got. You can, you know, develop it as much as you can. But uh, remember, you're as psychic as you need to be. Hmm. <laughs> and up to a certain level, you get to where it could be a liability. I mean, you could lose control of your destiny, lose yeah, control yeah. of your life and not end up doing stuff that you want to do and, uh, or, or, you know, have no freedom, basic freedom. So, um, but anyway, that's, that's an, those are extreme cases, you know, and, and, but there are people like that. There are, yeah. there is a Ted Owens type that's alive right now. And I'm sure our adversaries have people that are the same. I, I 100% agree. Um, yeah. Fantastic conversation, Bruce. I absolutely love it. Very cool. You, man. Um, yeah. What do you have coming up and where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at bruceolofsolheim.com. All my books and comic books are on Amazon. Uh, coming up, uh, we have this animated series, uh, Snark, who is half, half alien, half human. And there's a lot of uh, real life stuff behind the fiction. So it's kind of fun. And so that snark animations every Saturday, we drop an episode and um, if you just look up snark or just go to Bruce Olaf Solheim, uh, middle name, O-L-A-V, bruceolafsolheim.com and you can find all that stuff on there. That's the easiest way to find it all. Awesome. So yeah, that's what's going on. And I really appreciate it, Joshua. We always, we never know where we're going to end up or where yeah. we're going. It just, it just goes in so many cool directions. That's why this conversation's on the fringe because it's not an interview. We just have a conversation. You never know yes. where it's going to go. So much appreciated, Bruce. Thank you so much to the audience. Guys, we're going to head to Fringe After Dark in 30 minutes from now. That's uh, through our socialredpill.com, our social network subscription service. You can head on over there to find out more information about that. We'll see a lot of you guys in about 30 minutes. Other than that, much love, respect. God bless you guys. Please go visit Bruce at bruceolofsolheim.com. The links are in the description as well as in the chat. You guys take care. Have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow.